Hi, this is Roy Worley. Welcome to the interview show that brings on guests from all walks of life. Yeah, it's here that they tell their stories and delve a little deeper into their lives to see what got them where they are. So grab a drink, have a seat, and relax, because this is The Leo Effect. When was the last time a short movie shook your emotions to the core? When was the last time a short movie caused you to rethink everything you stood for? When was the last time a short movie made you proud to be an American? When was the last time you felt the emotion to stand up and cheer after a short movie? The new short movie, I've Got Your Six, written and directed by Bill Foster, one of the industry's newest and fastest climbing directors, will answer all of those questions. Rarely has there been so much packed into a short movie that when you leave, you'll feel more proud of our American military veterans. A movie that was cast only with American military veterans will have you on the edge of your seat cheering for our veterans and what makes America great. I've Got Your Six will be hitting the film festival scene soon. Be prepared to drop what you're doing and go see this powerful movie when it comes to your area. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Leo Effects. Today I have a very special guest with me. It's been a long time coming, but I'm very happy that he's here. We're going to chit-chat a little bit and get to know him some more. And, you know, he's in a couple of animes that I'm really into right now. So, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. First, allow me to introduce to you Mr. Eric Roland. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. It's it's going to be good. I I think, you know, You've done some really, really great stuff, and, and you know we're going to talk about that for sure. But Thank I'm you. wondering what feel like is probably what you're most known for. Let's see. Um, I'd say probably the role I'm most well-known for um, would definitely be Rappa from My Hero Academia Season 4, as uh, I call him my beast from the east. <laughs> but... Uh, I guess they're the other show that I'm a part of right now, which is on hiatus for the time being that we're all quarantined is called a three. And the character I play inside there, his name is Masami. And before the show was an anime, it was a mobile game. I don't know if you uh, have seen those games where it's kind of almost like a choose your own adventure, uh, like mystic messenger where it's almost like a dating sim where you can end up with one of nine different people by the end of it, depending on what you choose. I guess there was a number of games that were geared for A3 in that regard. And so Masami was also a very popular character. Oh, okay. So he's he's another one that uh, is pretty well known. And the art online for him is just stunning. There's some really talented people out there. <laughs> That's awesome. It's always good to see some fan art. Yeah, I, I get really impressed when I walk through Artist Alley or when I walk through the dealer's room at conventions and... Like, I, I think I'm a fairly good artist, and then I see what these kids can do, and I'm like, wow, I don't hold a candle to these people. <laughs> yeah, they, they produce some very impressive stuff. Oh, they do. What was it that made you decide to pursue this career? Well, let's see. I was very much um, involved in the arts, involved in uh, theater, musical theater, for a number of years when I was young. Uh, my first actual... I guess step on stage, if you will, would have been when I was four years old. The church that I was a part of back in Rochelle, Illinois, used to put on these really huge over-the-top productions for Easter and Christmas. And mm. they would build sets and they would have um, 
really incredible and well put together choral ensembles and they'd have pyrotechnics and all that. Oh, so, wow. yeah, I mean, we would really do um, Broadway-esque shows there. And so I did that um, all throughout my childhood and into my adulthood, a number of different musical productions and straight plays. And it would have been after I got back from an acting internship that I did at Walt Disney World. It would have been, let's see, I went there in 2009 and got back in 2010. And it was a really cool experience there. Um, but up to that point, I was still in college, and so I hadn't really been able to push all in, if you will. Right. Because I was um, studying to be an illustrator. And it required so much time because you have studio courses with illustration. It's usually three-hour courses at a time, so there just isn't a whole lot of time to do anything else but be immersed in that. I had put acting kind of on the back burner. And when I went and did this internship at Disney World, um, where I got to work in entertainment down there, it really relit the fire. So by the time I got back and graduated in 2011, I thought, you know what, I want to I wanna go out there and get myself uh, a better agent than I have right now, and I want to just hit this full steam ahead. And that was the trajectory that I set for myself, and I never looked back. That's wild. That, that's a cool story. And you, you did stuff at, like, did you actually work at Disney or was it just? Yes, a, I did. Oh, cool. So were you doing voices for the movies or the, the characters in the park or something? Yeah, I um didn't do voices for any of the characters. Um, but what we did uh, was, I guess they, they called it uh, working in fur. And so we were... Officially, I can't say like I played such and such character. I say I right. was friends with a character. So I was friends with Goofy and friends with Sully and friends with Woody and the Beast and all those huge, huge characters in the park. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was a really cool experience, um, not being able to talk and having to just animate solely with my hands and my body. Um it was a really cool experience because like, where most people there, they were working in food service or they were working in housekeeping or they were working a spe- specific ride. Oh, I showed okay. up to work every day and I slapped high fives. I posed for pictures and I gave hugs all day. <laughs> That's a great job. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Very physically taxing on the body. A lot of people that I knew that worked there would lose between 20 to 30 pounds if they were overweight starting out. Because it was akin to doing about two and a half hours of cardio every single day. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, it was. That's that's physically taxing for sure. Holy (laughs) crap. Yeah, it it was really cool, though. And it was um, it was unique in that. Being that you couldn't talk or anything, um, Mm -hmm. it really made it more about the fan interaction. And you got to just see these people light up in ways I'd never seen before. Because some of these people, they've waited. We have one gal. She she was, I think, 77 years old. And it was her first time coming to Disney World. And she had wanted to come to Disney World since she was, I think, seven years old. Oh, wow. And getting to be a part of that experience and see her break into tears over the whole thing, <laughs> incredible moment it was for her to to be able to be a part of that. All the pain, all the heat exhaustion, all the sweating through every layer I was wearing, all that just melted away. 
Man, you just you made her her lifetime. <laughs> I I hope so. Um, she seemed very very much taken with just getting to meet you know these characters that for years and years when she was a little kid she would watch on the TV screen and now getting to see them in real life that had to be so surreal for her. Absolutely. Well, kind of speaking of of Disney, uh, would you say that you had any kind of uh, inspiration? For launching into a career in voice acting? Absolutely. Um, my favorite Disney movie is The Little Mermaid. Okay. I used to watch that all the time. And uh, my dad, he was he loved Disney movies as well. So D- Disney movies were a huge part of my childhood. And as a little kid, uh, as little kids are given to, I would try and mimic everything I heard. Mm-hmm. And... I always chalked it up to, oh, I can do this funny voice or do this goofy voice or what have you. But as I continued through doing musical theater and continued into doing straight plays and then eventually into getting an agent um, and doing more work behind the camera, I started to see the utility in, I guess, what you could almost attribute to like um, a repetitious kind of training that I put myself through unknowingly as a little child and where I would try and bring the drama out of my voice to recapture the scene that I would play from start to finish um, just by myself as I watched the movie in my living room uh, while my mom fixed dinner in the other room. And having kind of all that uh, culminate together after getting back from Disney, I thought, man, I think I found my love again. (laughs) So I finished out my illustration career and for the next year, I worked in um, in uh, the service industry, waiting tables at Ruby Tuesday. There you go. Yeah, uh, it's like like, some, like most actors do. Yeah, um, yeah, you gotta start somewhere. Yep, and working that job allows for a certain amount of flexibility. It's typically pretty easy to get your shifts covered, especially if you're on the upper echelon because everybody wants those shifts. So mm-hmm. people will grab them up real quick. But doing that, I thought, well, I want to work something that gives me enough flexibility to, if I've got to run out for an audition, I can do that, and it won't be too detrimental to try and fill that time I've missed. After uh, working at Disney and working in uh, uh, the service industry for a while, I thought, well, I guess I better get some more work together under my belt, and maybe I can start submitting to some agencies and figure myself out. And so I put together my resume, and I polished it up a bit better than it was. And I thought, well, I've heard that Craigslist on occasion has gigs you can find on there. So I hopped on a Craigslist and I found a posting on there. It was advertising for an extra role. And it was advertising for, at the time, NBC was doing a show called The Playboy Club. And it was set back in the 60s when the Playboy Club was in full swing in Chicago. It was very much in the same vein as the show Pan Am. Oh, all right. So I saw the the extra role on there, and it said, hey, we're um, looking to cast some extras for a restaurant scene that's coming up. So if you have any service industry experience, uh, come on out. We'd love to uh, talk to you and see if you'd be a good fit. I thought, what the heck? It's just a quick little drive into Chicago. I lived in, I guess, what officially got annexed as part of Chicago, but it's really about an hour and 45 minutes away. <laughs> Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, the little town of Rochelle. uh, It it is a hub city, so there's a lot of um, industrial stuff there, like craft 
service. Excuse me, uh, Kraft Foods is there. Del Monte's there. Um, there is a uh, several concrete esque plants are there. It's you know it's it's very much a hub, and there's four railway systems that go through it. But it's so small that if you drive fast enough and blink, you'll miss it. Wow, <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I drove out there to Chicago. And uh, I met with this gal from, gosh, it was called Cine, Cine Studios. I think mm-hmm. Cine Studios. And they were a company, to my understanding, that was based out of Canada. And they had a presence here in the U.S. And I walk in, I meet this gal, and she says, yeah, so we're casting this scene. And we need people who have actually worked in the service industry. If you don't mind, uh, we're just going to get some quick headshots of you. And then we'll have you on your way. And there was a few other guys there and a few other gals there who were all dressed in um, the attire that they told us to come in, which is very much period-esque. All right. And so I was there dressed up in a suit and a white shirt, and they took some photos of me, and I left and went home. And that night, about 9 o'clock, I got a call, and the person says, hey, is this Eric? I said, yeah. She goes, okay, well, I'm so-and-so with Cinespace Studios, and... We're wondering if you'd like to be one of our core extras. And I had no idea what that terminology meant. (laughs) I had never worked in television before. Right. So I said, "Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, What do I need to do? And so she explains to me, she goes, well, we have a core group of extras that are pretty much going to be needed uh, anywhere from three to five days a week depending on the load for the show that we have. And being that this is centered around the Playboy Club, the only people who actually got to go into the club were the key holders. Mm. So it was very much like a membership. And so you saw the same people again and again and again and again and again, day to day in the club. And so I went, yeah, that'd be great. And she goes, cool. Well, I'll need you here tomorrow at 7 a.m. And that launched, um, I guess, that really ended up launching my career into um, professional show business, as it were, from there on out. So I went there, got myself uh, into costuming, went into hair and makeup, um, and then they had me just get right on down. And we were the, the key holders for this show, and we ended up filming through the entire season. Unfortunately, the show got canceled, but it gave me a a real world experience that I could uh, add to my resume and I could draw on for inspiration. And it put things more into perspective for me, just how hard I've got to work to make this come together. Mm -hmm. And so after the show got ended up getting canceled, we had filmed the whole first season, but the show got canceled a few months later. And Launching off of that, I thought, well, I've got this full head of steam built up behind me. I might as well start taking those wild shots because it's something just to hear the gun go off. Absolutely. And I ended up getting uh, hold of an agency in Chicago. It was originally called, I think it was originally it was Ford. Then it was Elite and then it became Stuart Talent. Hmm. Uh, I may have that wrong. Maybe it was Elite first and then Stuart Talent. I think that's what it was. And uh, they were one of the top agencies in Chicago. And so I got in with them and another agency up in Wisconsin called the Rock Agency. Through them, that was like, okay, we're doing it now. There's no, there's no looking back. And so <laughs> right. then it became, became about keeping myself in, in good physical shape because with Stuart Talent, I was uh, 
booked more for their modeling side and same thing with the rock agency. Only they actually threw me some, some acting gigs here and there. And so it was like, all right, I've got to eat healthy. Got to make sure I'm hitting the gym every day. Got to make sure that I'm working on the craft that I'm being studied up. So I just started to absorb as many movies and shows as I could. And I very much, um, would study through just observation. And, uh, there's a, a phrase that says good actors borrow, but great actors steal. And so if I saw (laughs) something that like Liam Neeson did or saw something that Keanu Reeves did that I thought, Oh man, that's killer. I would just take that and add that to my arsenal of things (laughs) I could do. (laughs) I like it. Yeah. And so it ended up being for me that the Chicago market just wasn't uh, booming the way I was hoping it would. A lot of people that I uh, knew through the agency, they were very well established ahead of time. And so you saw the same people again and again and again on all the shoots, on all the shows. And it was really hard for somebody like myself, who was, I guess, very unversed in the behind the behind the camera stuff. Ah, I'd done plenty of theater but not a whole lot behind the camera. And so it was really, really tough. And even to do the voiceover side at my agency, Stuart Talent, I had to actually audition for the um, the agency itself, even though I was already a part of the agency, already assigned actor for them. Mm. And uh, the agency that I was a part of, uh, the the voiceover team there, they they were, you know, they were making the big bucks and they were working on the huge projects Actually, Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief from the Halo series, right. was signed on with Stuart Talent when I was there in Chicago. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, yeah, they had quite an arsenal of people there. And I gave it a good a good solid run there. I thought there's there's got to be another avenue that I can I can find some work because it was like I was knocking on every door, but none of them were opening. But I still, in the in the downtime, I worked on my craft, I worked on my body, I worked on uh, my mind. When that opportunity finally did present itself, I'd be ready for it. And it seemed like it was just never going to come in Chicago. And I ended up going through um, a number of different jobs at that point, back and forth, because uh, when I took the acting gig for uh, the Playboy Club, I ended up having to put my service industry job on hold. And they totally understood and they were really excited for me. And so it was a few months there that I wasn't doing any kind of uh, waiting. Well, after the show got canned, I came back and instead of being able to step back into the role that I was before, I had to start at the bottom rung again. Oh. And yeah, work my way back up to the shifts that I used to have, even though I, it wasn't like my charisma died out. I still was the same me. I just had to reprove myself. Yeah. And so... I ended up uh, saying goodbye to that job and I worked a few odd ones throughout all while still trying to maintain this presence in Chicago itself as this actor and model and voice talent. And it just wasn't going anywhere. So I ended up working a job for a cleaning company where uh, we had, it was a, a very odd and unique job. We were, we called ourselves trash out guys or trash out specialists. Mm-hmm. And what we would do is, when the bank forecloses on a home and they go to repossess it, they have to send a team inside there to take all the junk that's inside of it, throw it out, clean the place top to bottom, make it ready for resale. Oh, okay. So I worked for a company in Rochelle, Illinois, and they were one of the biggest 
in the U.S. Uh, in terms of work and just traffic for this kind of work. And so that also allowed for a lot of flexibility. And the family that I worked for um, was like a second uh, mother and father to me, just very, very kind, very generous people and really pushed me towards the arts as well. So I worked with them. We would work some pretty tough hours, but the pay was really good and it was really flexible. If ever I had an audition, um, the matriarch who ran the company's uh, financial side, she would say, yeah, you know, if you got an audition, you just let me know and you just head on out and we'll take care of it. Wow. Well, yeah, all right it then. Was, yeah, it was, it was a great, great, great gig. And through that, I met her daughter, Lauren, and her daughter was a musician as well as a songwriter with aspirations of heading to Nashville to make a go of it there in the music industry. Mm. And so I ended up driving this big 24 foot box truck with all of her stuff out to Nashville where she had gone and purchased a house and she was like, all right, cool. We're all in. I'm going to do this thing. And since I've been working for uh, this family for a while, um, the mom, Kathy, she says, well, Hey, if you don't mind driving this truck out there, we'll go ahead and take care of your expenses for the weekend. You can get a taste of Nashville and see if you like it. Cause there was rumors that Nashville was going to be the next tinsel town. And, uh, I had heard, uh, talk that Lionsgate had just moved a studio out there. And so I thought, well, maybe I can get out there ahead of the curve and beat everybody to it and see if I can start landing some work. So long story short, I went out there fell in love with the place, came back home, packed up all my stuff. Three weeks later, I was moved out to Nashville. <laughs> well, all right then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, got an agent right away at Nashville. Uh, it was called Talent Trek. Oh, cool. And ended up um, firing my other two agencies that I had back in, uh, let's see, I had two in Chicago at this point and then one in Wisconsin. Uh, I let the two in Chicago go. Kept the one in Wisconsin because they would send me uh, audio work on occasion or auditions for them. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, I'm really starting to lean more towards doing voiceover and voice acting because I can be anything. I can be any person. I could be any age. I could be a monster or a creature or an alien. And it's not going to require me to sit for two hours in hair and makeup. I can just show up, do the gig and go home. And so I thought, well, I guess if, if Nashville being the musical hub that it is, has all these studios where they're recording music and commercials and such, they should have a pretty thriving and booming industry for voiceover here. Not the case. Oh, at, no. At all. It was just music in Nashville. And so I thought, well, I guess voiceover is not really coming together here, but maybe the acting side still will. And thankfully, by the grace of God, my agency, their talent trek, they were able to book me on more work than I'd done with my other uh, four agencies that I had throughout the entire time that I was with them for a number of years. They, I think for like four years worth of work that I had with those four agencies, talent trek booked me on more work than that in uh, more work than that in about an eight month span. Wow. Yeah, it was it was awesome. And I was getting to go and work um, more behind the camera and I was getting to work on sets and meet all these really awesome people, very much uh, like minded individuals who had the same kind of aspirations that I did and just weren't going to give up. And so we really fueled each other's fires. Mm -hmm. And from there, 
I thought, well, okay, I, I still want to do um, voiceover in a bigger capacity than I was because I had booked my first voiceover gig back in 2012, and then I didn't book another one for four full years. Wow. Yeah, it was – I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't uh, down in the dumps a lot about it because mm-hmm. for for anybody, if if you're growing up and you're, you're hearing from your friends and family, oh, you're so great at this or oh, you're so great at that, you start to believe it after a while. And I'm – auditioning on it and auditioning and auditioning and auditioning and nothing's coming and you start to second guess yourself and you start to make corrections where none are needed. Oh no. And so I, I'm sitting here going, well, I'm, I'm, I'm actually cut out for this. Am I, am I made for this? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And I was listening a lot to, uh, Crispin Freeman's podcast and it's called voice acting mastery. And there was a lot of great information on there a lot of really, really sound wisdom being that he, you know, he's been in this industry for a lot, a lot of years mm-hmm. and he had a segment on his show where you could call in and ask a question. And so I called in and I asked a question one day and I got a fantastic answer back on, uh, on said question. So I thought, okay, he, he gave me some, some real good advice on, uh, kind of redirecting myself and real good advice on finding my own niche that I could work that only I have the, you know, just the presence that only I can bring. And he gave me advice on not trying to, what's the word, not trying to, um, base my success off of who somebody else is today, but do kind of the, uh, I guess the more nobler thing and instead inspire to be better than I was yesterday and ignore what somebody else was working on today. Uh, I guess to put it in simpler terms, uh, as a teacher would say, keep your eyes on your own paper. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) Yeah. And it, it was hard because you see friends and such around you having success and you want to be excited for them. But at the same time, there's a bit of jealousy there where it's like, gosh, I, I wish I could be doing that too. And the people that I knew were very, very successful. And it felt like I was really scraping just to get anything, even though I was working more, more gigs than I had with this one agency. Um, it's still, I was watching people that were just every couple of days, just the next big thing, they were knocking it out. And so I think it's good to have a bit of jealousy if you let that jealousy fuel you, but don't let that jealousy get corrupted and become envy because then you're wanting what somebody else has. And that's totally corrosive. Mm-hmm. And so shortly I've been in Nashville about two years, um, made just a huge mess of my life. I, I got involved with a, a gal I should have never been involved with. Oh, and oh no. <laughs> ended, up, ended up, uh, taking a hit in the acting career for it because I ended up working, uh, a job for a unemployment office. And made just a big mess in my life. Like ended up being homeless for about 11 days. Had about, officially I had $2.75 to my name in my bank account. Goodness. And I was uh, very much reaching up to touch rock bottom. <laughs> and uh, my uh, my buddy Greg had come uh, to be, at, at the time, my girlfriend and my, our third roommate and it all went pear-shaped about two weeks after he moved out there. So I said, all right, Greg, we got to get out of this place. Uh, don't worry. I'm putting whatever our expenses are on my credit card. We've, we've got a, 
elevate our station, as it were. Mm-hmm. So in, in an 11 day span, went from being gainfully employed and in, at the time, I, what I thought was an awesome relationship to getting out of a psychopath's house, being homeless, sleeping on my uh, former roommate's couch, getting a job working for a humongous company, uh, which uh, ends up uh, being a sign shop, which I didn't even know that was a thing. (laughs) And then getting a two-bedroom house and I want to say about a... I think a week later, ended up meeting uh, the girl of my dreams, who's now my wife, Kylie. And that all happened in, I guess, about a month span. Well, there you go. That's that's one heck of a turnaround. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, I, won't, I won't lie. There were some growing pains there for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> it, uh, in the loneliness and the darkness there, what you hear described in literature as the dark night of the soul, it rekindled my faith in God. I got myself back in church, got myself back in my Bible, and I refound the morals that my life had once been built on. And uh, my wife, she was such a little fire starter when it came to um, to pushing people around her to be better than they were and to do better. And she stepped into the game and she had been working for an equine um, hospital at the time. And she she had actually met me online through my fan page and she had expressed that she had done some acting in the past and that she was really hoping to make a career of it. And sure enough, I said, well, let's uh, get you set up with a microphone and we'll, I'll make you a little portable booth that you can take with you wherever you go and record, which is actually uh, like what I'm recording in right now. And I said, why don't you see how it goes? Within one week, she booked so much work that she had to quit her her equine business job. And that was the catalyst that enabled us to, once we got married, move from Nashville to Dallas and push all in into the voiceover industry. That's so amazing. That's a wonderful (laughs) tale. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was, it was, um, very much orchestrated. Um, I say very much orchestrated by, by, uh, by God himself. Cause there was no way that I was going to be able to dig myself out of this trench. And, uh, yeah, we work on a, go. yeah, we, we, we work on a platform called ACX and it's an audiobook exchange platform. And so my wife, she says, uh, she goes, I want to really, I want to try this out. I want to just take a shot at this. And so she had booked so much work that she was having to turn jobs down because she still had to go and work her equine job. And she goes, I don't know what to do. And I said, look, you need to quit your your equine business job here and push it all in on this if this is really what you want to do. And she goes, oh my gosh, I, I got to work from home, be my own boss, set my own hours. I said, I know it's daunting, but I think this is what you got to do. And so when she did that, she ended up t- taking in so much more work that I had to step out of my role at the sign shop to um, do audio engineering for all these audiobooks that were coming in. Wow. And then, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I mean, like she was really uh, the, as I said, the catalyst for, for the success that we started to have. And shortly thereafter, we both started doing what are called duet narrated and mm-hmm. dual narrated audiobooks. And uh, dual narration is inside most audiobooks. We we pretty much uh, specialize in doing romance novels. Okay. And 
with those, there's a female point of view and then there's a male point of view. And so the chapters are usually every other. Right. And so for dual audio, uh, the girl reads all the female chapters, the guy reads all the male chapters, and you do the dialogue for both. So if you're if you're reading the, the female dialogue, you just kind of pitch your voice up and then you read the male dialogue, you pitch it back down. And you kind of keep in this uniform uh, pattern when it's your chapter. Whereas duet narration is more like a radio play. So you'll still record uh, the male point of view chapter and the female point of view chapter, but you leave gaps inside there whenever there's, um, if if it's the guy reading, he'll leave gaps for the girl's dialogue. If it's the girl reading, she'll leave gaps for the guy's dialogue. Mm. And then um, we would switch places in the booth and come back through and fill in all the dialogue. So you can actually hear the conversation playing out between the guy and the gal. And wow. uh, yeah, it, it, it's a lot of fun. And it, it, as I said, it very much becomes like a radio play. Yeah, absolutely. And for the romance novel world, that was huge. And so we did, I think we did one of those in Nashville. And then just a, f- a couple months later, this is after we had just gotten married, we had planned... We thought, well, maybe we'll stay inside the Nashville area one more year and just build up some some cash flow and then decide to move on out to uh, Dallas. Because we had met with uh, an industry friend out in the Dallas area and um, that expressed to us that there was more than just voiceover in Dallas. Because I still wanted to do on camera and voiceover and, hell, stunt work if I could get it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, he said, yeah, there's, there's enough work out here for everybody. You just have to be brave enough to go out there and get it. And so after we booked this first duet audiobook, my wife says, she goes, we have enough right now that we could make a shot out there at Dallas. We don't have to stay here another year because she handles the finances. You know, we have our little meetings where she says, all right, I need you for five minutes. Here's this, <laughs> this, are you good? Okay, go. So I said, well, you know, I, I trust you that, you know, you've got our, our books well put together here. Let's do it. And so when we moved out here, it was, we hit the ground running, just firing on all cylinders. It was, I had just quit my job two weeks prior at the sign shop. We both pushed all in doing audiobook work while at the same time, um, trying to court agencies and looking at doing classes and whatnot. And it was like, this domino effect got kicked off back when I had started doing the Playboy Club and it was now kind of coming to its crescendo in Dallas. And I want to say we got in Dallas, I think we're on our fourth year now. We moved to Dallas in 2017. Yeah. So I guess we're coming into our fourth year by, by July we moved in January. I think January 6th was our official move-in day here. By July that same year, I had started working for Funimation. Jeez. That's a success story if I ever heard one. <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't without uh, taking my fair share of lumps. Exactly. But, uh, but, you know, it's the lumps that make it better, more sweeter in the end. Yeah, um, it's like, the, like that song by Train, uh, Bruises. They make for better conversation. Right. As the time kind of draws to an end here on the show, I I want to give you the opportunity to let the listeners know where they can go to follow along, um, you know, your different social medias. Yeah. um, If you track me down on Twitter, it's at at Eric Rolon, E-R-I-C, 
R-O-L-O-N. I'm also on Instagram. It's underscore Eric Rolon underscore. And I also have a Facebook fan page that you can track down. You'll see my headshot, <laughs> me with this <laughs> real smoldery look on my face. Um, and you can also track me down on YouTube. The channel is Angel Legend with one L, A-N-G-E-L-E-G-E-N-D. And the YouTube channel is geared, um, it's starting to shift more towards acting and entertainment. But it's a channel on which I teach people how to make movie props and suits of armor from video games and such. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much for that. And thank you very much for coming on the show. It was an absolute blast hearing your story today. Like, you you definitely had a roller coaster ride, but you came <laughs> out on top in the end. Yeah, it's... It's been one hell of a journey, and I'm very grateful for all the all the steps and all the missteps along the way, because you know a million things can happen, and as long as you're hell bent on not just seeing the best in yourself, but seeing the best in those around you, all those million things that we may see as blunders are all leading towards this perfect present moment. Exactly, I love it. Well, thank you once again for coming on the show, and thank you to all the listeners who tuned in to check it out. Make sure to go to all the social medias and do the clicks and the likes and the bells and whistles, all that good stuff. you got, you got to follow along. This is going to be big stuff coming in the future, and we will see you all next time. Take care, guys. Oh, now that was an awesome interview. Thanks so much for listening. You all are so great. And don't forget to head to Facebook, Insta, and Twitter and follow The Leo Effects. If you want to hear some comedy and ridiculous voices, check out Shattered Dungeons on YouTube and all other places podcasts can be heard. And you'll hear me voicing crazy characters, usually pretty terribly. So thank you so much. You all are the absolute best. And we will see you all on the next episode.